Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the My Alpha Life Podcast. Today's guests, a couple of good friends of mine, Aaron Kaler. How you doing, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me, sir. Uh, founder and uh, CEO, is that proper, of uh, ATII. We'll talk about that more here in a second. And, uh, sir. The work that you do. Uh, Patty the Batty <laughs> Dioria, how you doing, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Excellent. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, thank you guys for being here. It's excellent to have you guys here. Um, let's uh, let's jump right into it. Let's talk about ATII real real fast. Sure. Uh, so ATII stands for the Anti Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative. Um, we're a nonprofit that uh, works in the space of anti trafficking and child exploitation. Um, we do investigations, we do uh, corporate social awareness and environmental social governance, uh, encouraging corporations and, and organizations to implement trafficking programs to uh, disrupt uh, illicit finance around human trafficking. We work with law enforcement, intelligence agencies globally to um, help rescue, save, detect, investigate, and uh bring justice to uh, traffickers and, and, and people involved in the child exploitation world. That's great. Well, um, I mean, that's a lot, like yeah. everything. I mean, I, I know a, I said that kind of like nonchalantly. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I, that's exactly where I was going with that. I want to yeah. like take a second to every, all the listeners kind of uh, try to digest everything that he just said. That's a, that's a ton. And obviously a, an incredibly um, uh, noble, initiative that's it's uh, the more that i talk to people about human trafficking it's it's been actually pretty nice because you know we're we're, i talking to so many people about the event that we're putting on and again we'll talk about that here in a second but um people i don't think get it on the grand scale what a huge problem human trafficking is but there has been more awareness around it and and people are at least aware that it is a big issue, right? They don't know how big of an issue. I don't think people really understand the, uh, you know, the gravity and how many people are affected by it and all the other things that it affects as well. Um, but at least people are not completely blind to the issue. Yeah. And you know, there it's, it's become a, a big media topic. You know, people have heard of it because it's appearing, in the media regularly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cases like the Epstein case uh, and, right. and others uh, really put it on, uh, you know, a social platform for, for people to start understanding. But where everybody's still very naive, and I don't want to get into the details too much on, on all this, but, um, you know, it's not like a movie. It's not like a, a Liam Nielsen taken type movie where, right. you know, kidnappings happen. Um, it can happen that way, but it's very few and far between. There's so many different facets from late labor trafficking to sex trafficking uh, to organ trafficking and harvesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's adults, it's children. 
you know, the online space, um, grooming, reaching out to, to kids, uh, and, and trying to exploit the vulnerable on all the platforms that, that we know and love in, in the world today. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, I actually learned this from you, the kind of like the cam space, um, um, you know, the, I don't know all the, like the only fans. Yeah. Only fans. And, uh, I, I think that there's tons now at this point, like different websites. I think, um, once one person does something like that and it's successful, then yeah. there's a bunch of copycat like websites and whatever, and all of them can be exploited that way. Right. Yeah. So, you know, live streaming has been ar- around for a long time, right? Um, you know, on Facebook live streaming, Instagram live streaming, um, you know, you've all seen or, or heard of, you know, chat girls that are, they're going on these, these streams. But since COVID, um, you know, the climate for lime, live streaming has, you know, went up Exploded. sevenfold, thousands, uh, yeah. because, um, you know, because of COVID and also uh, people catch on and get smart. If you can make money uh, just as much, if not more, by keeping somebody inside and, and doing video as opposed to, you know, working the streets and, and, mm-hmm. and, and going what people think the traditional way of prostitution is, um, you know, they're going to they're gonna take advantage of that. Well, obviously a lot less exposure, right? For the, the guy or girl pulling the strings behind the scenes. And I say guy or girl because it's not, I think people have this, um, idea that it's like men behind the scenes controlling and trafficking women. And I'm sure in large part it is, but there are definitely females that are, um, facilitating these efforts as well. Yeah. Um, excuse me. Um, you know, with the females, oftentimes a trafficker will traffic somebody, right, and and build a relationship with with a woman over a long period of time, and you know they grow to you know it's like Stockholm syndrome. They they grow yeah. to to love and trust this person, even though they're the, the bad person. They still have that connection, and that's that's in the trafficker's handbook of of of. You know these these people treat it so seriously. It's it's an art to them. How do you how do you traffic somebody? How do you turn them? How do you be a pimp? How do you? Yeah. Um, and it's it's uh, it's sad to say, but it's a tri- tried and true method, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the idea is after a period of time, and after you've turned somebody, then you get them to, the the woman to do the work for you. You know, befriend younger women. You know, show them money, show them, uh, take them out to the club, give them drinks, get them drugs, get them into the lifestyle. Um, that's a huge part of uh, of how traffickers operate. The grooming process. Yep, they're talking about. Um, and there's a you know, there's grooming in a lot of ways. There's grooming by figuring out what somebody's pain point is, what what you know where their vulnerability vulnerability is, and exploiting it. You know, whether they need friends, whether they don't have family, they don't have a father figure, they don't get enough attention. Um, they maybe have been abused before, and so you can step in. And so part of this grooming process is to literally be an open book. Like you, you come on to a, a, a child or a woman really strong, paying a lot of attention to them, talking to them, coming across as, as a, whether it's a romantic partner or a father figure, then figuring out 
where the where the kinks in the armor are and just yeah. exploiting it and and turning them. Well, it's like it's like um toxic relationships. It's like people even if they're aware of it, it's like um you know, if somebody grew up in a in a toxic environment, a toxic household or something as a child, as an adult, they often um, like that's where they feel comfortable, right? Like, and, and they mimic those behaviors. Yeah, like that's all they have ever known growing up. And, exactly the self sabotage, right? Like, like oh, I'm it, things are going really well. Uh, let's fuck some shit up because <laughs> I need chaos because yep. it's not you know. Um, and I think like you're saying, if the trafficker can tap into that, uh, the psychology side of that, you know, yep. or that individual's situation, then they can exploit it. The one thing that I've learned from you is how sophisticated some of these operations are and never really comprehending how the financial aspect of it and how it can cross borders, state, uh, international, et cetera. Yeah. Um, that was, a you know, when you told me about that first, I, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, when it comes to illicit crime, whether you're operating in an organized crime group or if you're running it solo and, and just earning money for yourself, um, it's very, very lucrative. Um, you know, if, if I've said this before, but if, if you were to destroy all the, you know, the, the cocaine in South America, all the poppy fields in Afghanistan, uh, terrorists and, and drug organizations would, 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 human trafficking would easily become the most profitable crime on the planet. And it already almost is. Um, You know, another unfortunate way to look at this is you can, um, you know, you sell some cocaine or you sell some drugs. um, They use that once and and then they come back for more and you have to constantly be getting a supply. Well, a woman, you know, for the same amount, if not more than what you're paying for those drugs – you can do that with a woman nine, 10, 11 times a day if you need to. Right. If yeah. not more. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's horrible when you think of it, uh, how deep it runs. And, and, you know, it's, it's probably the oldest crime on the planet, right? Yeah. Um, Becomes inherently more. It's slavery. It, it is, it yeah. is slavery. Um, you know, Folks that work in the space and in the NGOs, the the nonprofit organizations, and globally, um, they they call it modern slavery. Whether it's for sex, whether it's for, um, you know, working in industrial textiles, farming. Yeah. Um, globally, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. So it's not just to touch on what you're talking about. It's not just sex trafficking. Sex trafficking is obviously a huge part of it um but but yeah having people work in the fields having people work whatever like you're talking about um back up real fast just for for i i I always want to be mindful of the listeners and make sure that they're kind of tracking you said ngos and then you you specified nonprofits. that's what it means but what does that stand for exactly non-government or organization so um Literally anything that's a, a non-government organization and also not a commercial organization would be right. classified by as an NGO. So a nonprofit, a church entity, mm-hmm. um, a motorcycle club. Sure. NGOs. Got it. Cool. Cool. Um, so back to the, uh, like Pat uh, touched on um, OnlyFans and, all of the different 
whatever um, chat rooms or cam girl sites or any of those things. Right now, I'm noticing a uh, this big like I don't know like an independent woman thing of like oh yeah I have an OnlyFans and I'm whatever and there are lots of women making absurd amounts of money. Oh my god! On OnlyFans doing whatever they're doing and selling feet pics or yeah, and all the whatever. Sometimes it's not even horrible. They're selling like farts in a jar sure, and, and buying Ferraris uh, sure. <laughs> a couple and, months later. Yeah. And the reason that I pointed out is because like my, my opinion, good for you. I don't give a shit what you do, whatever. As long as you're not hurting anybody, do your thing. But I think that when people hear only fans, there are two main thoughts that come to their mind. One is, guys and girls, but probably mainly girls on there doing sexually explicit stuff for money. Right. Okay. But it's in the comfort of their own home. It's whatever. They're kind of their own boss, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, but I, I don't, I don't think that people, um, correlate the two. I don't think that they, they relate like, Oh, only fans. Some of those women, might be being exploited. Some of those women or, or men, um, you know, because I don't know OnlyFans, uh, whatever rules and guidelines and shit. Certainly you've yeah. got to be 18. Certainly there's probably a list of things that they maybe can yeah. or can't do. Maybe there's not. I don't know. But I, I can't get into too much detail on this because, you know, it's we have a relationship with them and, and work in this space. Sure. Um, but you know they have they have um, terms and conditions and state. Um, you know they have laws and and rules that they're trying to um, trying to cater to, and and they're they're upping their game. They make so much money uh, those types of platforms that right. they'll spend the money on the tools and procedures um, to 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 make it work and try to minimize it, but it's, it's never enough. Um, and then with, within those platforms, you know, there's, there's a ton of different things. Like you can, whatever your specialty is, you can, you, you know, you can make an only fans for, you can, you can give jujitsu lessons, yoga lessons, you can talk about, um, whatever. And if somebody wants to pay to hear you or pay for your expertise, um, you know, there's a place for that. And so, first and foremost, OnlyFans categorizes themselves as a platform where just people can connect with people, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that it's built on sex. And uh, I, I honestly did not know there's anybody doing anything on OnlyFans other than that until you just said it. There are, you know, there's, there's, so there's like candle makers and yeah, stuff. there's perfectly fine celebrities on, on there that are, you know, making some money and, and just normal people doing things. That's their mission, right? That's the, the mission statement of OnlyFans to, to have a place to connect. But, um, what's making the money, what's made them so big. I mean, they're huge. I can't even tell you how, how much, yeah. think about how much money, some of the producers are making. So imagine how much the platform's making, right? Well, like I was just saying a minute ago, I've, you know, I'll see a TikTok video or some girl or whatever, like expose how much money she's made in a month or in a year. And it's, 
it's the numbers are astronomical. Yeah, and then she'll show you her stubby fingernails where she's been selling all the clippings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes me want to take my shoes off and start taking pictures. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I'll be your first only fan. <laughs> Professor Andrew will be your first uh, subscription. Yeah, with his weird foot fetish. Toe holds and yep. Yep. all that. Yeah, so... Um, so but, yeah, I was, I was going to jump. I mean, I don't just know. to get back to your point and I kind of went on a tangent there, but absolutely. Yes. Women are being put on camera that are not doing it on, on their own. They don't realm. want to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, criminals and, are, criminals are smart and yeah, unfortunately you know, they're going to figure out a way and they said, okay, we're going to limit our exposure from going to a hotel room to meeting people out in the open to now we can just put it in a bedroom where no one can see it and yeah. make the same money, if not more. Yeah. Um, Cause you have a wider net. You don't have to have that person to person. Well, imagine, imagine it, I mean, I don't want to give any, hopefully there's no criminals listening to my podcast, but um, I mean, imagine if you just rent an apartment, it could even be a shitty apartment, decorate one room. Yep. And then you just have however many people in that apartment. I mean, there could be one girl is in here doing whatever she's doing. And then there's 10 others on the other side of the door, just waiting for their turn to funnel through and do their. And and that's your, your one-off characterization of, of somebody, one person being trafficked and forced to do video. The reality is, is when you, you know, maybe not as much in, in America, right. But when you go to other countries, you know, they've got a whole complex with 50 apartments and then they've put 50 girls in those apartments. And when they're not being in prostitution and not being trafficked and actually having sex with paying clients, well, then they're streaming. So let me ask you this. Is it, this just gives me an idea. Um, is, are those, cause they are streaming, right? So they're live. Yep. So is there typically, and you may not have the answer for this, or you might, but is there a person in the room with them kind of monitoring what they're doing? Is there somebody monitoring like what other people see on the camera where I'm going with that is like, so-and-so is being trafficked and is, are there like international symbols or signs that this person could like give to the camera, to the streaming platform or little hints to like, Hey, I don't fucking want to be here. That's one of the, and again, I don't want to, hopefully there's no criminals listening, right? Sure. Um, I don't want to go and don't lay yeah, and don't give yeah. anything you can't give. Cause obviously your that's, operation is yeah bigger than what we're talking about here. Yeah. So that's one of the biggest concerns with live streaming is that you can't, mo- you can't moderate and investigate it in the same way. Now, responsible live streaming platforms will say that, you know, they'll say that, hey, we have a team that's going to look at every account, every post, every picture to make sure specifically where they're most concerned is is child exploitation or um, if, you know, there's something, you know, um, talking about terrorism or trying to spread propaganda about certain things, things that are sure. have to do with national security and uh, child trafficking and, and child exploitation is, is sure. the biggest concern. Um, whether they do that all and do what they say they do and their software really works, we won't get into that. Sure. Um, but 
when it comes to streaming, the same thing. There, that organization and others will say that they always have somebody that's going to spend some time on every live stream to make sure that what they're seeing fits within their parameters. And, mm-hmm. and if it isn't, they're going to shut it off and that person's going to be put on probation or, or their account's going to be deactivated. Okay. Um, do I believe that um, they have the staff manpower technology and overall wellness in their hearts to do that for every live stream all the time? No fucking way. There's no, okay. yeah, that's absolutely impossible, right? Yeah. I mean, the numbers we just talked about are staggering. So it's, yeah, managing at scale, you know, you yeah, can't, just can't do it. Yeah. Maybe one person with a screen in front of them broken up into a hundred other screens, but even at that, how, with so many people yeah. on OnlyFans, and that's only OnlyFans we're talking about. I mean, you know, OnlyFans at this point is a household name. It is what it is, but there's so many of these other like offshoots and, and individual websites, right? Here, here's the thing too that that the industry doesn't understand. We're used to laws, rules, standards, regulations to protect things, right? So we know that you know, in a bank, you can't be doing this stuff, right? You know dealing with cash in certain ways and, and doing things because they're, they're fraud prevention and investigators watching, right? And why that's happening is because there's compliance laws and regulations and the bank will get in big trouble. Well, guess what? We're always behind on technology laws and everything. Things need to be invented. They have to happen. You know, the right stakeholders and lobbyists need to see problems and then people need to get together and say, hey, there's a problem here. We need to make a law around it, and people need to be on the lookout for this. Well, things like OnlyFans and live streaming and that stuff, we haven't gotten a law a, far enough along in the history of this type of um, activity to have all these laws and standards. So what they're doing is pure, you know, how they're addressing these problems is purely based off of pressure from people, media, newspapers. Um, so they're trying to say, yeah, we're good. We're, we're, we're trying to solve these problems and we're spending money on it. We're buying software. We're hiring more people. But it's, it's only to maintain, a, uh, you know, maintain that facade or maintain that we care, right? They're not being required to do it yet. Right. And that's a big part of, of what we do. We, we identify those gaps uh, within... ATII, and we look um, to change laws and regulations if something that should be have controls around it don't like right. this. So you know we work with the space with with lawmakers and regulators and and the type of people that it needs to be on their radar to to develop laws around this. And it's really to protect vulnerable people. Um, you don't. There's so much money to be made. Nobody's going to stop unless the government governments make them sure. Otherwise they're just going to find ways to work around it. And places like OnlyFans and others are not going to spend the money or do what they need to do to stop it. Um, because they're not being forced to, they're not being required to, they're not going to get hit with a cease and desist at least yet. Right. Yeah. It's a giant, um, it's a giant issue. Yeah. way bigger than than uh than we could cover really in any amount of time um since 
you know, my time in the military and, um, that was, that was, uh, eye opening for me, the, and also kind of like culturally going overseas and experiencing all these different cultures and countries and, and ways of ways that they would do things and run things just in their lives. I mean, I know lots of countries and cultures that at a young age, it's just understood that the family gives away their kid, you know, like just, this is what you do. You, and like the family themselves grooms the kid for this type of behavior in this life that they're going to live. Um, which is obviously heartbreaking. And, um, you're kind of like, at least me, I was like, man, what, what, this doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't get it. But, um, there are a lot of things that in different cultures maybe don't make sense to other people and other cultures. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's just kind of normal and what's expected and what they do. I know that it is that, but I don't know if they're like the families are just cool with it because that's what it is. Or if it's just, we don't have any other choice uh, because of finances or, you know, we have to it, live. Big part of trafficking is, is the, the bait, bait and switch They're there. They send representatives to villages and to places. They, they offer real jobs with, with, with finances, the uh, network to be able to send the money back to their village, to their parents and everything. Then uh, they gather people. Um, and, you know, when it's time to get paid, when it's, they, they, Long story short, they figure out that what they were promised, what they agreed on with their parents there and, and, and with their families, they end up in a whole other world doing not what well, they intended to do. So, I, Pat, was it you I was talking to about this? The, um, the, the way that they basically just, just bury the person in debt, yep. right? So Indentured servant. Yeah, yep. indentured servitude. Yeah, so you're going to – you're sure you make X amount of dollars every day doing whatever you do. Right. Um, okay. Well, yeah. big portion of that is going to go to us and then, okay, you made whatever for sake of easy numbers. Let's say they made a third of whatever they brought in for the day, which yeah. I'm, it's probably far less than that, but oh yeah, you made a third. Okay. Well now you need to pay us for room and board and you yep. need to pay us for, soap and you need to pay us for washcloths and whatever. Yeah. They, they get there and then, and then they start earning money. Right. And then when, when they finally get the, you know, haven't been paid long enough. And then they finally get the courage to ask like, Hey, you know, when am I going to get paid? And it's like, Oh, well we've been deducting the expenses. So, you know, when I found you in your village, it costs $5,000 to get you from uh, this country to here. Right. And then your room and board and then your food and, and all this stuff that you thought came with it. No, it's, it's adding up and right. you're paying for that. And um, that's, and never, it's really just a mind game, right? Yeah. It's all horseshit. Yeah. That's never going to be, that list is forever. Right. And by the way, we're going to hold on to your passport and all the yep. other things so that you can't go anywhere without us. And they're always yeah. dangling the carrot and say, hey, when you reach $15,000, then your debt will be paid off. Yeah. Um, and I, then it's it's almost an unattainable goal, but it's just attainable enough that makes 
as motivation, right? Yeah. I can't, I can't go into too much detail on this because, um, um, it hits very close to home and one of the people that it involves, uh, listens to this podcast, but, um, what you just said Pat, about, um, Oh yeah, by the way, we're going to hold on to your passport. That happened to somebody very, very close to me. Um, and this person kept being told like, Hey, checking in with the, the person that was in charge, right? Hey, when, you know, you put in the paperwork for my, uh, these two people were for the, from the same country. Mm-hmm. One person had been here in America for a very long time, had an established business and organization and whatever this other per and then agreed. Yeah. Bring this person over here with me and I'll kind of show them the ropes and, and take care of them and all that. They'll make money and whatever. Everybody's going to be happy. Everybody we're helping each other. And, uh, this, the first person had always had already gone through the ropes of passport and you know, all these things. Immigration. Yeah. Yeah. Which somebody from a new country, you know, English is their second language just trying to learn English, much less go the ropes of immigration, right? Like that'd be a pain in the ass for any of the three of us. So, um, uh, you know, and then kind of constantly checking in, Hey, what's the, what's the status on my passport? What's the, whatever. Oh yeah. It's not yet. Not yet. Not, you know, and then uh, long story short, they found out that, Oh, the passport's been here the whole time. It's been sitting in your desk drawer. Um, and you've just been using me for slave labor, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that that's clear-cut labor trafficking. Yeah. Um, there's different forms of it, right? There's 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 very extreme forms where you, you have somebody, um, you, they're imprisoned, they're forced to work, they're not paid, they're, you know, nothing, their passport's held. And then there, you know, there's versions where, you know, minimum wages, whatever, I don't even know what minimum wages these days, but like, you know, and you're getting paid half of that. Well, mm. there's a minimum wage and you're not getting it. And there's not a, a reason for that. And yeah, also they have your passport and they're given, you know, that's right. labor trafficking. It's not as extreme as, as, as the other, but it's, it's wrong, right? It's still wrong. Yeah. 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 Well, and yeah, maybe not as extreme, but still definitely wrong. I mean, it's fucking expensive to live. I don't know if you guys know or not, <laughs> but it's, you know, oh, yeah. stuff costs a lot of dollars. So, um, let's, uh, so very hard to touch on everything that ATII is, um, um, that kind of gives the, the, the listeners a good, a good idea though. And, um, everybody at home, I, you know, um, please go check out ATII, look at the website, check out everybody that's involved. Um, I'm trying to, talk Aaron into, uh, so I kick door. We all know I kick doors and arrest bad guys for a living. Um, I'm trying to talk him into having a, uh, task force section that I can run and we can, I can do what I do, um, which I love doing and I do very well, but I can do that, uh, to real bad guys, like the really, really bad guys. Uh, we're working on it. Trafficking kids for, you know, uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. But guys, go check out uh, go check out his website, ATII. Um, FollowMoneyFightSlavery.org. Yep. 
And um, actually, perfect segue because that's the same website. There's an events tab under uh, the um, Follow Money Flight, Fight Slavery website uh, for our event that we're collaborating on uh, here in, what is it, two weeks now? Yeah, February 18th. What's it called? Uh, it's called Tap Out Trafficking. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, Great name. It is a, a fantastic name. Um, I've talked about it a couple of times uh, on the podcast so far, but basically we wanted, you know, Aaron and I are partners in um, in Ravens Guard Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu here in Wilmington, and uh, all three of us train together um, and have a great time and whatever, but we want to do bigger things, right? We want to do as much good in the world as we can. So talked about uh, collaborating on this event. And it's lining up to be a be a huge success. I'm really happy about it. We have we're blessed in having lots of uh, friends and smart individuals like Patty the Batty here that's uh, that are willing to help us and and make this thing really uh, really kick off. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, the fights are going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to watch you compete. Um, yeah, for the first time I haven't had the opportunity to do that. Um, but the whole card looks really great. Um, top to bottom. So it should be a great day, but you know, ATII sounds like it does a lot kind of more on like a global scale. What I really love about the tap out for trafficking event is this kind of touches more on a local scale. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a first for us. And, um, you know, we're a, we're a global organization and we're, you know, we're virtual, right? We've got people and, and stakeholders throughout the company, uh, throughout the world. And, you know, I happen to, to live in Wilmington. Uh, you know, the, the company's based out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a perfect opportunity to do something for the community um, when we haven't really had a chance with our normal operations for the company. Sure. Um, and so maybe just explain a little bit how it's going to be set up. So we're going to have this, all the super fights. Um, and it's going to benefit uh, a safe place. That's a- yeah. Uh, a safe place is a local um, shelter, domestic abuse and human trafficking shelter. Um, they run a lot of programs. They they bring in women that have been abused or trafficked. Uh, they they provide childcare. They they have clothes. They have they help with training fun, funding after the fact. Like, yeah. Um, they come in and then they you need to go like rehousing and. Full just cycle. Whatever, yeah, just stuff for a, a new apartment or, or whatever to start a new life. So yep. they're a fantastic organization, so that's why we partnered with them. Yeah, we're, we're hoping to, to make a lot of money. Uh, and I just met with them again uh, for the fourth or fifth time uh, last week. And, you know, how many fights do we have uh, for this event? We have 21 booked now. So 21 fights booked, right? Um we're encouraging the fighters to do a GoFundMe and try to raise at least $500. Um, so that's 42 fighters yep. raising, hopefully raising $500 each plus ticket sales and, and everything. Yeah. And those um, GoFundMe's go directly to a safe place. So that money doesn't come to anybody yep. in our organization at nope. all. It's all it's just going to funnel straight to them directly linked to their account. Yeah. Um, so for them to work with, the nonprofit and, and Ravens guard. And, you know, we're bringing in a lot of community 
to get involved and sponsor and, and do this. I mean, our hope and, and their hope is that this becomes one of their primary funding mechanisms uh, in their annual planning. You know, they've got a big board. Um, you know, they have to figure out how to fund these houses and all these programs. Right. And we just kind of came out of nowhere uh, and said, hey, we're going to try to raise you a massive amount of money. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm. Oh, it's great. It's a yeah super worthy cause, especially, you know, Wilmington being one of the hot spots on the East Coast for, yep. for trafficking. There's definitely a lot of people and women who need it here. Um, quick math, I guess. 42 competitors, 500 bucks is over 20 grand right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can do some math. Um, if someone listening out there wanted to, to help or sponsor, um, I think there's vendor opportunities as well. Yeah. Uh, here in Wilmington, we're offering, and, and it's, you know, we, it's our first event. We want to get people involved and excited to do this annually. We're offering uh, vendor sponsorship for a corporation for a hundred bucks. They get to, um, get involved on the social media, on the website, uh, at the event, um, with their, their graphics and, and their organization. Um, and for $200, if you sponsor for 200, you get the social media, the website, all, all that, but you can also have a booth. You can have a table at the event. Um, at the event, there's going to be a lot of local businesses. There's going to be other nonprofit organizations um we've got the human trafficking commission of north carolina that's going to be there it's going to be it's going to be there's going to be jujitsu fighting there's going to be um a lot of the the goodwill and messaging from the safe place but there's going to be a lot of awareness development um so if if you're listening and you're going to attend the event uh you know come for the jujitsu fights but you know make sure you talk to the vendors, pick up the brochures and learn about human trafficking, what it is. And the fact that it's literally happening under your nose in any town USA yeah. where you live, no matter where you're coming from, I can give you many, uh, talking points of why it's happening right where you are and in places that in plain sight that you're walking by. Yeah. And, um, back to your point, Pat, about, um, the number of fighters and I've been really excited to uh, kind of be on the behind the scenes part of this and see, you know, again, like Aaron said, we, this is the very first event and what we did was put out an application. Um, that application also has run through the ATII website and um, basically anybody that wanted to, you know, uh, compete, just fill out an application and, uh, and then we, that's how we, kind of kept track of the matchmaking and all of that stuff. And um, we had almost very first event and we had almost a hundred applicants so far and we still have two weeks to go. I'm getting applications every single day. Um, so I was really excited and really humbled to see how many people just wanted to support the cause and be a part of what we're doing. I can only imagine after we launched this first one, and then, you know, the second one, the third one, the fourth one, I mean, we're going to have, it's only going to grow from here. Um, the more that the, the human trafficking issue and awareness spreads, um, along with what we're doing. And we hope to make, like you said, you know, Wilmington is such a hub, such a hot spot for, uh, human trafficking. And it's such a problem 
here. And hopefully if we can make an impact right here, uh, in this city, it'll just spread from there. Cause we have applicants. I mean, this is not just people, this isn't a hundred people just from Wilmington. These are people spread from all over coming from other States. And, you know, so we've got a, we've got a good thing going here. I'm, I'm really excited to see how the, how it turns out. So how many of these events a year are you trying to put on? Two, two. Yeah. To start with, we want to, we want to do two and, um, hopefully it can expand and we can start doing them in, you know, other big cities. Um, I'd love to hit Atlanta. I'd love to hit Charlotte. I'd love to hit, um, uh, you know, down into Florida. And yep. I mean, th- this is a giant problem in all of these cities. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, any of these bigger cities that we can move the event to and help all around. Um, and that's, again, it's only going to spread awareness, right? So, yep, absolutely. Do you have your fundraising page up yet? I'm actually making a special video about mine. Uh, so mine is made, but, um, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm making a video to go along with it and then throw, I did the math, uh, uh, the other day after you and I spoke, um, about, um, social media platforms and followers. Um, it's a lot. I have a lot of social media followers, so I'm going to make a video specifically push it out. And then, uh, I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to destroy $500. Like, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So nice. You can mark me down for a couple bucks. Awesome. I appreciate that. Dude, where'd you get that shirt? I haven't seen that shirt. You don't see this one? I haven't seen that one yet. Nice, nice. This is uh, Legalized Marinara. Uh, It's tomatoes. It's tomatoes. Patty the Batty's our uh, our resident uh, chef. He's not, it's not what he does for a living, but it should be. Um, If I had the money to uh, invest in a restaurant and him be the the man behind the scenes, I would do it for sure. A resident chef and Italian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like to, I like to identify as a born again, Italian. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've, you've been adopted. Yeah. You've been adopted from where, from where you grew up. Yeah. Someday I would love to just be your meal prepper. That'd be great. You have enough money for both of us that we can just, you know, Patty, what, what's on the menu today? Yeah. Yeah. When we, like, when we really make it, we can kind of share uh, the, uh, you guys are pretty much the, two men that i feed more than if, yeah <laughs> yep. if the liver king can have his own private chef i mean i need to figure out what i'm doing wrong so i can have you patty uh patty did some meal prep for me uh a couple weeks back and that it was so so good and he's gonna hook me up because i'm uh i got a title fight coming up like we just talked about so I'm going to have some stuff for you this week, sir. I'm uh well, I appreciate it. I'm super excited. Uh, getting back to the event. I'm super excited about the fights. Um, we have so many people on the card that, that I am personal friends with, uh, that, that just came out of the woodwork and are like, man, let's, let's go. Um, and I mean, some of the black belts we have on the card are amazing. We got a uh, professor DJ Roberts. He's out of um, Pensacola, Florida. I've known him for years and years. I knew him when he was, I, I want to say, a blue belt. Um, and he's a black belt now, running his own academy down there. Uh, super good guy. Um, uh, he's fighting for the medium heavyweight title against Professor John Shell, who good friend of mine, friend of ours in the academy. Um, also, like just I could talk. For a long time about him just like he's a really good 
human being. Um, his wife. Uh, so anyway, they're fighting for the medium heavyweight title. They're the co-main event. Um, fun fact about the uh, all the matches. We're running them kind of ADCC style um, for you jujitsu fans. But it's the first five minutes is going to be submission only, uh, where points don't matter. If it goes past that for first five minute uh, mark, then points start to accumulate from there. But like from whatever position you're in, right? So let's say that you're at the four minute and 45 second mark and you have, you've gotten to mount. Um, it rolls over that five minute mark. You won't get points for being in mount. You just are now starting in mount, right? And you just keep going. So then points accumulated after that. Um, and if there's a draw at the end of that 10 minute match, then it's a sudden death, uh, round where the first point wins. And I like that a lot because it, you know, it makes people fight hard. Mm -hmm. Um, so that'll be in the second, the first points are scored and there's control. Then that fights over. Um, and then the title fights, uh, title fights are only black belts and every title fight is going to be no time limit submission only, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, People don't really do that anymore. And um, I think that's kind of where the, the cream rises, rises to the top in matches like that. Because play whatever game you want. You know what I mean? Do your do your thing. But at the end of it, it could go as long as it needs to go. Would but you say that's more of an old school approach? Is that I think so, yeah. Let's fight, man. Let's are there, go. Are there some that do like 10 minutes than sudden death? Sure. Who does that? What, wait a minute, what do you mean? Uh, you know how you just said um, you don't really see it like that anymore? Yeah, you don't see no time limit okay. really anymore. Um, what's the, what's still in existence today that, that goes a period of time and then becomes sudden death, so it, it ends at some point? Well, so there's a bunch of different, like EBI has uh, um, the Eddie Bravo, Eddie Bravo yeah. um uh, organization they've got you know i actually don't even know exactly how they run it but i know like you you have a choice of like starting in a couple different positions in sudden death okay and then they even time it like fastest uh fastest escape or something like that um but which is cool it's a you know yeah. different kind of a spin on it or whatever but um i i like the idea of two guys or two girls are going to fight and whatever your game is, if you're a guard puller, if you're heavy on takedowns, if you're whatever, um, whatever your game is, you throw your best at me and I'm going to throw my best at you. And there's no bullshit. There's no getting, it's very pure jujitsu because the best person will win. Um, you're not going to beat me on a technicality. You're not going to beat me on an advantage point. Uh, an advantage based on the opinion of the ref watching, right? Or you're not going to beat me. You're not going to like get two points for a sweep or a takedown or whatever you're doing and, and then stall, stall and hold and hug me for, you know, I hate that. I just, let's fight each other, you know, yeah. because also like stalling then sucks too. Cause it's like, I mean, you can only stall for so long when there's no time limit. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
one of us is we're going to move. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're not just going to lay here. You have to advance or we're going to be here forever. So, um, yeah. Or so, you're going to start getting booed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that's what I mean. It's very pure and it's very raw. It show the crowd's not stupid. If you're stalling and you're just laying there in a no time limit match, it's yeah. The crowd's going to get pissed and you know, it's like, come on, man, let's, you know, we're here to fight each other. That's why I'm so excited about my match. Uh, I'm fighting uh, Josh Shortstack Robinson. Uh, he's coming all the way from Ohio. Um, super, super good athlete, super good friend of mine. Um, and uh, and he's game, man. He's he's as game as anybody I've ever met. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with him a long time ago, man. He's He was my student for a long time and then uh, moved from Wilmington to Raleigh and started – training under professor John shell. Um, and professor John called me, uh, when it was time to put on his black belt and he's like, man, I'd be honored to tie his belt around his waist with you. You know, you built him this far. I built him, you know, the rest of the way and let's do it together. So that was a huge honor. Um, and, uh, and this guy, man, like he's a fighter. There are very few real game fighters in the world that will legitimately fight anyone. Um, and he's he's one of them. He so. fights MMA as well too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he had a real good run in MMA. Um, he's retired from MMA now. Um, but I was I was blessed to be in his corner. Um, we were on uh, what was it ESPN or Sports Center, um, like top ten knockouts or top twenty knockouts or something like that. Of I think it was twenty fifteen or one of those. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, he fought this super, super talented fighter out of Canada, um, head kicked him, you know, and went in there, finished, finished with punches and, and knocked him out. And you see him do all that. And in the background, you can see me just absolutely losing my shit. You know, I was so happy for him. So well, I really like this storyline. I didn't realize it was a student. Uh, pupil versus the teacher yeah he he posted on professor yeah he posted (laughs) on social media last week like uh miyagi versus daniel (laughs) son make no mistake though he's coming for his head he's coming to get me yeah and dude he and i have got so many hours of beating the fuck out of each other both in mma and in jiu-jitsu um he was my main training partner for a lot of years um and i his so um I'm really excited because I'm 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 coming to fucking to you know he's dangerous he's he very listening? very good and he, he knows you oh yeah like, oh yeah do you have he, anything to say to him right now I love you buddy <laughs> <laughs> I really I do I love him he's gonna be in my wedding but I'm but uh, I'm gonna fucking rip him apart and he is I expect nothing less from him so what's the uh, what's the weight you guys are gonna so it's an open weight belt that's the other fun part about it um, he and I are different weight classes so. Our fight, so I originally was supposed to fight somebody else that um, he and I, for some reason, man, the the stars have just not aligned to fight each other. His name's Professor Sean Burton. Um, another really game opponent, really, really nice guy. Um, I've, I've cornered against him, like in one of his other matches uh, in the past. And he and I, for years, have been pitted against each other to, to fight. But, um, but we, uh, we just never were able to make it happen. Like 
uh one time um i got really bad sick i got pneumonia i was getting ready to you know i was all tuned up to fight him and uh i ended up with walking pneumonia and didn't know it um that one was i remember that was, yeah i remember that too. yeah that one was rough i was bummed man because i really really wanted to fight him and um because he's really good i get excited to fight really good guys i don't want to fight somebody that i know i'm gonna beat you know um, I want to fight guys that are actually dangerous and that are respected in the game. Um, so anyway, I ended up walking pneumonia. We ended up not being able to fight and that whole card actually ended up getting canceled. So it wasn't a, a he, like I, he wasn't out of fight because of me, like the whole card got canceled, but, um, and then, uh, he and I were supposed to fight in this event for the middleweight title. And, uh, but he ended up, uh, hurting his he also is like a, he does like professional BMX, um, stuff. So I, he took a bad spill and, and got fucked up doing that. So, uh, he sent me, it, it, this is why I like him. We were talking on the phone about, he called me and was like, dude, this sucks. I hate to do it, but I got to pull out. And he sent me a copy, a picture of his, um, x-ray and his collarbones in like three pieces. <laughs> I was like, dude. Uh, yeah. And he, but he still was thinking about doing it, you know, which I respect. So that's what's up right there. Yeah. So you wound up with stack. So I wound up with short stack. Yeah. And, uh, um, which is great, you know, uh, also like there's a lot of there. I like old school game fighters. Um, they don't care about the rules. They don't care about whatever, like, let's go, let's fight each other, you know, and I want to fight the best. And that's definitely who stack is. Um, I don't want to throw shade or call people out, but you know, we put out on all the social media links like, Hey, I need, I need a person for this waiter. I need a person for this opponent or whatever. And the second people, and I got a lot of people that would call in or that would, uh, I say, I, we have a team of people doing the, doing the matchmaking. Right. So my main matchmaker would get an application or get somebody to reach out and say, Oh, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm 180 pound, black belt like who's the opponent and they'd give him my name and then all of a sudden crickets yeah yeah same thing with stack you know we put out hey we need it whatever they'd find out it was him and like oh or like in especially when people it's really embarrassing when people are like oh man i'm available on that day i'm i'm that weight cool and then you get tell them the opponent and then all of a sudden they're busy or they have Oh, I forgot I had an appointment that day or whatever. It's like, you have an appointment on Saturday? You know what I mean? Like, no, you don't, but whatever. I don't get that. I, it's a charity event. You think people want to challenge themselves and, and have a, have a shot. I think know? people's egos are more important to them than anything else. And people don't, nobody wants to, I don't want to say no. Obviously, guys listening, I'm not my other fellow competitors, whatever. This is a, not a blanket statement, but, um, there are a lot of people that they don't want to fight anymore. They want to win. Yeah. They'd much rather know that they're going to walk through somebody and they're going to look good or whatever, rather than feel earning it. Earning it is so much better. It's so much more to it. It feels so much better to fight hard and win. than like, if you know, like what's in it, if you yeah. just, you know, so. I, I get it. And, uh, you know, you know that I just went through a tournament and, and lost. Um, and so I get it. I, I get the mentality of like, Hey, you know, losing stinks. You don't want to, 
you know, you don't want to put yourself in a situation if you, if you know somebody's pretty good. Um, but I guess to me, it just it pisses me off. It makes me want to work harder, you know? Yeah, that's what it should do. Like, so Olivia, I was proud of her. You know, she had an opponent that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but there are levels to this thing. And I've, I've seen the the girl that she was supposed to go compete. And I obviously see <sighs> Olivia compete and she would walk through this other girl. I'm pretty sure, you know, and, uh, there's just a considerable, uh, skill and strength advantage that Olivia has. Um, and then there was another girl that popped up that is far better and, and has a big name and is kind of a big deal in women's MMA. And, you know, she's on the, uh, uh, U S national pancreation team and all this. And she's been around a very long time. Her name's Tara LaRosa. And Olivia was like, I want to fight her. Like, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, I want to, I want to earn it. I want to, you know, I want her. Okay. You got it. So that's what it's about, man. That's what I want from my students. Yeah. And I, I guess it shouldn't matter anyways, but for an event like this, you know, even yeah. if you know that somebody's in, in the back of your head that, Hey, this person's better than me. Yeah. Um, you know, you're still going to, ramp up you're still going to train hard and get ready for it and at the very least it's it's for a very good cause yeah um so i think in those type of situations it's 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 worth rolling rolling the dice you know sure sure well and that's that's what makes fighters versus not you know that's what being game is right and unfortunately that's kind of a dying breed along with some other things but so your your boy uh john john um trying to make some plans with him. And I told him I'd message him after the uh, podcast that yeah. I'm here with you in the podcast. And, and I uh, just checked my phone while you were talking. He says, tell, tell, tell him I miss his smell. <laughs> <laughs> so it will do, but yeah, yeah. it's going to be on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a good human, man. He's a good guy. Um, yeah. Also very good at jiu-jitsu. All my friends are very good at jiu-jitsu. It's pretty cool. Not all of them, yeah. But, <laughs> you, I assume you're talking about you. I am, yes. <laughs> but you're great at jiu-jitsu. You're undefeated in competition, my friend. This is true. This is yeah. true. Um, I cook better than I do jiu-jitsu <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> working on both. That's all right. That's all right. So you, uh, we started a question with, what the weight is. And so you and stack are open weight class. Yeah. It's open weight belt. Yeah. It's open weight. Um, and which I I'm excited about too, because the way we're running the, um, the, uh, championship matches, uh, the title fights is it's also open. Uh, it's like, it's like a, a real championship division. So like some of these like regional and local jujitsu tournaments you go to, uh, they give medals, they give swords, they give belts, right? And that's cool, but it's like whatever thing, award you walk away with that day and like that's your award. But they're all kind of interchangeable. The thing I love about traditional like real uh, title belts is that they're not yours, right? It's 
you are the champion of that for right now. So the way we're running it is um, it's open. Like we're going to have number one contender fights. We're going to have, um, you know, people are going to constantly be challenging um, via earning the number one contender spot for a title shot. And uh, if you are the champion of whatever division and whoever the next challenger is that's that's earned the right to fight for that belt um if you can't or don't want to fight that person you have to vacate the belt you know just like any yeah. any real world title you know that's uh that's the way we're running it so sit or get off the pot yeah, that's it keeps right. it fun too yeah yeah yeah. And I mean, and some people like they'll want to, it'll be, but it's like, that's, there's a lot of drama and stuff involved in that. And it's, but people love that. Right. And, um, you, you see it in the UFC all the time. Somebody, you know, they're very game. They're very skilled. They're very whatever, but they get injured or something and they can't, you know, they can't defend their belt for an extended period of time or something. Okay. Well, the show must go on. Right. So you have an interim belt or you have, you know, you have a interim title fight or you have, you know, number one contender fight or something like that. And, um, I really love that aspect of the USC compared to what boxing was like for years. Right. Um, where, you know, you could have a guy who's a heavyweight champion in the world, but hasn't fought in yeah two years. Yeah. That's garbage. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you figured out kind of what your, your video is going to be? Because if not, I've got some suggestions. You Which know? video are we talking about? Like oh, your for tap out trafficking. Video, oh, for like, the GoFundMe link. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a general idea, but oh no, no, no! You got your ideas. <laughs> all right, so this is what we're gonna do. Okay, I'm ready. we're gonna get you all dressed up, dolled up. You're gonna be like, you know, neon and flamboyant, and you're gonna you're gonna call out stack, and you're gonna be like, "Ooh, yeah, brother!" On February 18th, at tap out trafficking. I'm gonna be there, and then you're gonna go all in. You're gonna you know like old WWF style, right? And then we're gonna strongly encourage him to reciprocate and make a a rebuttal video. Yeah. And uh so um so that's not going to happen. Come on. Uh, <laughs> you we know the heat, brother. Yeah, you know what's yeah. funny um Tim uh yeah, Tim Harrell, man. Um yeah, Timbo Task Force Timbo. I really like this guy. Um I don't know if you've seen or if you follow him or whatever. Patty, but he's uh uh he's a good dude. We actually we're talking about some other stuff separate as well. I can't I can't explain. I can't talk about it yet, but, uh, cause it's all stuff in the works, but, uh, super good guy. Um, he's a combat veteran as well. Um, and he's definitely a personality, right? Like he's dude, he's constantly putting out, he's fighting, uh, Ryan, uh, taco time Oakley, uh, out of professor John shells Academy. Um, I think Ryan Oakley is, uh, I think three and O or something. And, Another uh, in Toro, uh, Toro Cup, Super Fight Organization. Um, so that should be an exciting match, a uh, purple belt match. But, uh, but yeah, Tim is, Tim is definitely a character. He, uh, he sent me a video and then I, I made another, I made a video that, so he could splice them together and shit. Like he's, he's a. Yeah. If anyone hasn't dude. seen it, the, I think it's on the tap out for trafficking. Yeah. Uh, I think Instagram it got page. shared there. Shared um, there and it. it I think, I think, (laughs) I think in general too, like, um, they've been aside from the video, their messaging on the tap out, uh, page 
and they're they're you know going blow between for blow taco each time other. And, yeah yeah the two guys so i mean I, I as long as it's in in good fun and and all yeah. you know it's again for a good cause like the more we can get people doing that type of stuff the more entertaining and the more fun it's going to be yeah yeah and we're we're i've talked to tim too we're going to have him involved in some other stuff outside like it for the next events and stuff like that whether it's in a uh, competitor uh, capacity or commentating or whatever. I mean, he's just a good guy. He's got a good heart, you know, loves jujitsu. So. Where's he based out of? He's out of uh, Lumberton. Okay. Yeah. Not far then. Yeah, no, not far from no. us. He About an hour 20 from us. Um, and, uh, yeah, and actually speaking of uh, commentating, we're going to have um, – Professor Brad Morris is going to commentate, who is a wealth of knowledge. He's also, he's a black belt, uh, hence the professor part of that. Um, black belt in jiu-jitsu, uh, combat veteran, super solid human being in general in the jiu-jitsu world, in the, in the armed forces world, the veteran world, um, but also in um, super fight capacity. He's, he ran and runs uh, pro-jitsu. Um, really good event. I've been, I've had the honor of competing for, I've been the main event for them two or three times now. Um, commentated one of their events. So he always just puts on a good, good event, man, for, you know, always a good cause. Um, the first one I ever did for him, um, I was a main event against, uh, uh, who was that? Uh, Rick Screeton, Professor Rick Screeton. He's out of Connecticut now or Maryland, somewhere like that. But um, that proceeds were going to PTSD research and stuff. I mean, he's just just a good, solid guy. So he's going to be commentating. Um, and uh, you want to talk about his, his counterpart? Yeah. Um, so for the folks that do uh, jujitsu, I don't know if you've, You've seen this dude before, but his name is Toker yeah. Alcholo, <laughs> and he is—he's uh, a jujitsu personality, and uh, his stick is—he, um, you know, he he dresses up and and acts like a cholo from the from the barrio. Yeah. Of, uh, I guess he's cholo, cholo MMA uh, Toker from Cholo MMA. It's him and his boys and. Uh, you guys have seen it like uh orderly, like mm. I call this one like the Vato Choke. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> this fool is like getting crazy trying to steal my Cortez's eh? so I gotta <laughs> And uh but he's he's really funny, man. Uh we Aaron and I had a had a meeting with him and um he's all about the cause. Um he's a great, you know, jujitsu personality and he's a he's a purple belt now. Purple belt, um, yeah. Yeah. What so. What I thought was so we we just had a call with him a couple of weeks ago, and what I thought, uh, you know, if you know this guy, the the story is even even funnier uh, if you're if you're watching his his content. But he's saying how he got into this this character basically is, you know, he grew up and he had these cousins that, uh, you know, he he grew up kind of like a normal childhood and everything like you know, middle class or whatever. Yeah. And, but he's got these cousins that, that are real cholos, like really yeah. from the, from the living that life. And so they would come and, and see him, you know, his cousin and family things. And they really sounded like that. Yeah. And we're really like that. So he, he started like, he got used to like 
you know, imitating them and messing around with them and right. acting like them and everybody like his friends growing up thought it was super funny. So, you know, eventually it just kind of like fell into place for him. That was like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to bring this character to like yeah, social cool. media. Yeah. It was cool. He said that, uh, he said he really liked it because he got a, a lot of positive feedback from people saying like, yeah, I want to learn jujitsu. I like watching instructional videos or whatever, but a lot of them are really boring and like you bring a lot of fun back to jujitsu or whatever. So you know, which is which is pretty cool. And he'll he'll show a real technique in that character talking, yeah. talking like a cholo. Yeah, so you guys should follow him. If you know, listeners, if you don't know who we're talking about, just check it out. Just type in like cholo MMA; it'll come up. Um, but yeah, he's he's a good guy. Like, um, all about the cause. Wants to support jujitsu. Wants to support you know the anti human trafficking movement. And so he's coming up with uh, a couple of his a couple of his guys that he does the videos with and stuff and. Uh, he's going to be commentating for us right right alongside Professor Brad. So yeah, big big kudos to him. I mean, he's coming from Atlanta. That's that's a bit of a haul, and you know we don't know him. Uh, you know, we we just got on a phone for an introductory call, and he's like, "When is it? Uh, okay, hell yeah, I'm going to talk to my wife. I'm going to talk to my people, and we'll, right. we'll drive up." That's you know, awesome. and it was it's pretty short notice. So yeah, um, kudos to him. Yep, yep. And we. Getting to do a video with you, Aaron. Sure. Yeah, we're, we're definitely doing it. We talked about that already. <laughs> Between my, with my, you know, I'm pushing uh, my page, Black Belt Shit. Um, my listeners, my any of my jujitsu listeners, uh, check out uh, Black Belt Shit on Instagram. I'm going to also start a YouTube channel. I haven't done that yet because um, I'm busy with all my other things. But, uh, but yeah, so we're going to do a collab video between, uh, a little cross pollination. Yeah. A little black belt shit and meets, uh, you know, Toker from Cholo MMA. So it'll be cool. Definitely. You gotta make sure we make a pit pit stop into, to Raven's guard or, uh, in yeah, front of the we'll shoot it there. Yeah. 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 We'll shoot it there for sure. Yeah. It'll be good. So what are you thinking about making me this week? Food wise? Yeah. Uh, you're getting chicken. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> chicken. I think I'm going to do like a run it back probably. A little Dude. Chicken, I, sweet potatoes. It was and so cauliflower good. Rice. Yeah, that cauliflower rice was so like, it was a little spicy. Just a little. It was so good. Do some peppers in there, a little habanero. And then, uh, yeah, I had this, uh, it's, a, it's not Cholula, but it's another one of uh, the Mexican hot sauces. Make a little extra. Melinda's? Does Melinda's sound right? Um, My mouth is watering just thinking. Yeah. That's delicious right now. So good. (laughs) Dude, Um, it's so good. Yeah. No, I got got a a pork shoulder in the oven right now. It's like a Tuscan style. So when I get home, I'm going to tear some of that up. Nice. Uh, I made bolognese last night. Some fresh pasta. Oh, my gosh. It was criminal. How good it was. Let me tell you. So... I'm sure it's not like what you might make, but I just found the place that's going to take a lot of my money. So I love Taste of Italy, but that's Midtown, mm-hmm. right? It's all relative, but it's a little bit of a drive for me, 15 minutes or something. Um, I could throw a rock almost literally and hit this place right down the street here, Mama's. Uh, it's called Mama's Pizzeria. Bro. All that I've had from there so far is the meatballs. But I went in there for lunch, and I was like, hey, nice nice lady in there. Uh, I told her I just want some meatballs and some bread. 
and she laughed. She was real nice, and she's like, "Oh, okay, just like just bread meat. All right, bring me a bowl of meatballs." Yeah, <laughs> but I did some bread. I ate I ate a bowl of meatballs and bread, and um, it was so so good that uh, for dinner. I ordered meatballs and bread. <laughs> How long has that place been there? It's so, you know, I don't. Or was it something before and now it's something else? I don't know. Because I don't if, know. If, if it's been there for a long time and it's not somebody that's taken it over, uh-huh. uh, Buffalino's brother owns oh. and operates that. Okay. If it's the same place still, it okay. used to be something else. Then. So, yeah, so I don't know. Um, we bought this house and moved into this neighborhood what june of last year yeah um so and in that i drive by that place every day but it's kind of tucked a little bit and the thing that grabbed grabbed my attention was there was a big sign out front like on the road road frontage that said uh something about them delivering or something like that and i was like oh shit a italian restaurant i need to check that out and then i just got around to checking it out yesterday so yeah, the reason I I know is because we uh you know we both know uh their son Johnny, right? right? Um and I told you how we did this project. Uh I helped him with a school project. Yeah. And as a thank you, he brought me a ton of Italian food oh, nice. uh, from his his uncle's place. Nice. And it's up in this area. And cool. so I just I don't know if he still runs it or not, but it might be the same place. So That is the only Italian him. joint right here in this neighborhood. Ask so. next time you're there. Yeah, I yeah. will. I will. It's definitely whoever he has, the lady he has running the front counter, she's really nice, uh, Hispanic lady. Um, but the guy in the back kitchen or cooking in the kitchen is uh, an Italian guy. So could easily be, yeah. you know. So, But anyway. Cool. Little, he's going to meet this guy. Do the taste test again. Oh, that was delicious, dude. That's good. I'm sure. Everything he cooks, everything Patty the Batty cooks is so good. It's hard being this good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Then it's exhausting because all your friends want you to cook them food. <laughs> I just do it because I like to eat. Dude, what happened the other night? I heard uh, after we all went out, uh, so all of us met, had dinner and uh, and all that, and I heard you were you were sick after that. Yeah, it wasn't from that, though. It was a, it was a bug that we had going on uh, oh, okay. with the kids and everything. But Got it. Yeah. Tell, tell them about the tell them about the dinner, about our Peking duck. Oh, the Peking duck, man! Yeah. So, you know, we I we brought our significant others out for a, for a group dinner, the three of us and and our significant others, and you know, I come from uh, Manhattan. I had lived there previously for quite a while before moving to Wilmington, and I've experienced the the, the Peking duck in in Chinatown. Not quite the same as how they do it in Wilmington, but um, my goal was to traumatize the women that we were bringing, and Mm -hmm. I was hoping that they were going to bring this braised duck out with the head there just staring at you with some some glazed-ass eyes with an apple in its mouth. Uh, and that's what I was really going for, and and they they spared the the ladies. They cut it up in the back and brought it out uh, nicer style, so... Yeah, it was very it was presented Same. nicely for yeah. a family or whatever. But yeah, I've experienced I've lived in big cities my whole life and um uh I've experienced Chinatown like I've walked into places where there's like ducks 
roasted duck or whatever, like hanging or maybe just the yep. pre-prepped or something. It's just hanging and they're almost like a curtain, like, like a beaded curtain or whatever you walk through and like just part the, you know, the ducks as they walk through and like, uh, somebody going to eat that in a minute. Yeah, and you, you haven't lived until you walk down a smelly ass New York city street, uh, and picked out, uh, out of a bucket of bullfrogs. Which one that you want to eat their legs, uh, they'll, and they'll chase chase it down the sidewalk, yeah, and and fry them up for you right there. So I haven't been to Thailand yet. Um, I really want to go to Thailand to visit and train. Uh, I want to go for like a month would be awesome, and mix that in like training, fighting, and uh, and then maybe the last week of it be like just a vacation, just relax. Um. But all my friends that I've ever talked to that have gone there, I get, I get the same story every time, which is which is um, street food and yeah, all that so stuff. Good. That it's absolutely amazing, but it's also a roll of the dice with your life <laughs> because it's going to taste good no matter what. But you may be deathly ill <laughs> as a result. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Depends how hungry you are. <laughs> so. I, I go in full steam, man. I, I, yeah. I've, I've been and dabbled all around Thailand, and uh, food is so good, like like you said. Yeah. And the, the cool thing, uh, one of the cool things that I, so I scuba dive and free dive, and, uh, you know, you, you charter, you go, go on a dive, and they're bringing the Thai street food on the, uh, on the boat with you. Uh, as part of the the dive trip so you know they're they're frying up pad thai and everything like literally right before you get on the boat to leave um so good what's the sketchiest thing you've ever eaten i'll go first go yeah go (laughs) ahead (laughs) so i was uh 19 20 19 right after my freshman year in college my college baseball team went over to russia for about three weeks we're going to do this exchange program went to moscow state who played their national team um, and then did kind of like a goodwill tour up to St. Petersburg as well. Um, very underfunded trip. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we stayed in the dorms. The The meals were pretty horrible. Everything in Russia looked like it was, you know, stopped somewhere around 1990. Um, yeah. Nothing new, nothing, you know, was maintained, any of that, except for the subway systems. The subway system in Moscow is immaculate. Uh, looks like museums, beautiful chandeliers, um, murals on the wall, not an ounce of trash, no homeless people. Like so, not to not to get off topic. I want to yeah. come back to the sketchy shit you yeah. ate, but I spent a lot of time in Moscow as well. Did you really? Yeah, and also uh, surrounding countries, okay. um, like neighboring countries, and um, not that Moscow is a country. I get it, <laughs> listeners, but city, <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. But um, I I just spent a lot of time in the military around that that area of the world. And, um, something that I thought was really interesting was exactly what you're describing. And I've told this to other people and they can't really, you can't really visualize it unless you, you get it. But I got a, I got a taxi driver, right. That spoke English and the amount of money that they make is, is criminal, right? It's so very little. And, this guy, he told me, um, we talked about the amount of money that, that he would make on an average in an average week or on an average day or whatever. Um, and 
if he made five dollars, five American dollars a month, that was like an average whatever for him. I was astonished and you know, he had a family and whatever. I was like, listen, if I need somebody, I don't speak Russian. I don't, you know, um, and I don't know the city. I was like, if you'll drive me around, I'll give you 40 American dollars, like drive me around and tell me where to go and where not to go and kind of help me a little bit. And he was over the moon, obviously. And so, um, in driving around, um, I saw on the same block, um, there was a woman. Well, let me tell you the first thing. There was a hotel that had these giant wood doors. And when I say giant, they were, they were easily 20 feet tall. Right. And just beautiful and elaborate. And there were two golden lions out in front of this place on either side of these giant doors. And I was like, holy shit, like exactly what you just described, like just so uh, just amazingly beautiful. And I was like, holy shit, what is it? You know, what is this? He's like, oh, it's a hotel, whatever. He said, to, go walk, you know, walk in. And I just walked in the lobby and check and everything you just described. Chandeliers, marble floors, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so much money. I turned around and came out. And as I was getting back in the cab on exactly the same street, there was this old woman walking an emaciated cow across the street with just a rope around its neck, you know, for like a halter or whatever. The woman was frail and old and had no business dealing with livestock in, in any way. And this cow was in bad shape. Like, you know, it obviously wasn't eating correctly. It it's wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what is that? Like, what's happening? And he's like, oh, this is very normal. Like, he's like, poverty like we live in poverty and that cow she probably and and he did he goes she probably sells uh and i don't remember what he called i don't know what it's called he didn't know how to translate it in english but it's basically like cow's milk and wheatgrass and they mix it and then sell it on the corner or whatever in these little cups little shots or whatever um it's terrible by the way i tried it because i was like i'll I walked over and gave her 10 bucks. And no like, offense, but Russian food is all horrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Which it, is going to lead me back into this <laughs> story. Yeah. <laughs> Just quickly before you go into that, I, I know you're a, a big animal lover. Uh, don't go to India. Oh, um, really? Those cows in that type of condition, Yeah, everywhere. So you could be driving on a, on a highway in India or, or, you know, a pretty packed area. Yeah. And... There might be a tiny strip of grass yeah. in a median in a major metropolitan area. Well, there'll be 10 cows in, on that small yeah. piece of grass in the middle of the, the highway busy, yeah. with cars going back and forth. Because it's them. all they can eat. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're just everywhere. And, and yeah. they're going to find any little patch of grass to kind of eat. Yeah. And some sometimes, they you know, they've got more space. But in the cities, it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah, I, but yeah, I just I could not believe the difference in, the, in ridiculous overabundance of wealth, the opulence, yes, and yep. then the juxtaposition to the poverty. It was actually the first time I'd ever seen real poverty before. Um, you know, I grew up just outside of New York City, spent a lot of time in New York um, years after, and you know, you see homeless people, you see bombed out neighborhoods, you see you know abandoned buildings and 
houses and stuff. Um, I wasn't prepared or didn't know that there was like different levels to it. You know, walking through Moscow and, you know, packs of, I think they were Bangladeshi children, like refugees, you know, dirty in the streets, biting your hands, trying to pick your pockets. Like, uh, you know, the ringleader, the master guy, like, you know, he has got 25 kids that he's trying to like manipulate. And they're hustling. Yeah. Trying to sell whatever bubble gum. And and then we see him like, you know, they give it to this guy and then they're off to like the next person. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I'm not a Russian historian, but that's kind of like the, the, their history in that. You know, the czars and czarinas, opulence, the palaces that they had yeah. compared to what the, you know, the regular person, the workers had, like it was all, yeah, it's never changed. Um, but getting back to my story about sketchiest thing I ever yeah. ate. Yeah. So we were staying at Moscow State University and basically the, the food they were giving us was like, like little Vienna sausages, some sour cream and like something green on a plate that was like breakfast and lunch. And we'd have to go find street food or something like for lunch. So we leave Moscow to head up to St. Petersburg, which is far. It's like, if you were driving normally, it's like a 12 hour bus ride. Let's say Mm -hmm. we were on this diesel bus that had like furniture in the back, two Russian drivers who would like switch seats, like during the middle, they wouldn't even pull over. They just like hop over one another to like pull this thing up. Sure. So there's like 25, 30 college, you know, bros plus the coaching staff on this bus up to St. Petersburg. And on, we had to fly out. Um, we were there for like another week. We come back down. Now we're driving from St. Petersburg to Moscow to fly home and we haven't eaten and like we're starving. Yeah. And so we finally pull over to get gas and it's like the frozen, ton- you know, it's the summertime, but like sure. it looks like the frozen tundra. It's just like trees and everything. Yep. And there's yeah. like this little side thing. And this lady has these meat skewers on the side. Oh of the road. no, dude! <laughs> Over coals. Oh no! And we're sitting there staring at it, and it looks so good. <laughs> and you're hungry, and you're like, "Man, I haven't had like real food like in a while. Like, I just I want to eat." Yeah. So I ate it. Mm. And it was so good. And it was. And it was. <laughs> I don't know what it <laughs> we was. Don't know. Okay. No translation. I had I spent like the last like rubles that I had like Got in my it. pocket to buy this thing. Did, it looked like chicken. Yeah. Did it taste gamey? A little gamey. I don't remember. All I remember it is tastes like chihuahua. It liking and then like can't waiting to get to like the airport bathroom, right? Because like, it was like it did not necessarily agree with me, but it tasted great going down. And sure. I to this day I don't know what it was. Um, nice i hope it was chicken could have been something else mine was uh i've i've got unfortunately a few uh different sketchy food stories um but like i've spent a lot of time eating uh mres and stuff like that which is not sketchy by any means it's just bad um you got a favorite except the chili mac yeah i was just about to say chili mac man Chili Mac is where it's at. And sometimes you get lucky with MREs and uh, you'll get MREs have like goodies in them too, like a little bag of Skittles or, but the pound cake, dude, if you get the pound cake, that is where it's at. Yeah. So you just add, you just add water to, but you add water to the, the heat pack and it, you know, heats your thing up, but you don't add water to the magic, the food itself. It's all. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Really not good for you. But um, as far as sketchy food, um, I was in Rota, Spain, and uh, and Madrid. When I was in Madrid, 
everything was nice. Everything was beautiful. Um, I went to this, like, this is just not, should not be a sketchy food story, but I went to this, uh, restaurant with a balcony, an upper level balcony thing. It was, I mean, picturesque. It was amazing. And, um, I ordered, there was a, there was a very serious, uh, uh, language barrier between me and the no hablo. Yeah. And I was like, um, and I was like, man, I, it was very difficult to communicate. Like I don't, um, so I ordered somehow the food comes out and when it came out, the meat was, uh, pink. And I was like, that, that doesn't look good because it was and it. It was what looked to me to be pork. So I'm having a conversation with this guy about what the meat is. It's because, a good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, he ends up bringing somebody else out that can get, that can translate at least half ass. And, uh, he's like, yeah, it's pork. And I was like, okay, so my, that brings me to my second problem. <laughs> why isn't cooked? Like, why is it pink? And they were like, no, it's steamed. And I was like, what? He's like, no, it's steamed. So that's why it, again, this is very broken English. He's not speaking like us. He's not like, oh, it's steamed dum-dum and steamed pork is pink. But um, we're, we're still challenged with the, the language barrier. But 100%, he was like, this is pork. <laughs> and I was like, then that color is a problem. And he's like, no, it's it's steamed. When it's close to the bone, the pork can be a little bit pink though, right? So, yeah, there's a common misconception, um, yeah. especially in America, that, you know, pork has trichinosis. Mm -hmm. And, like, the amount of trichinosis in American pork, you'd have to look it up, but it's, like, it's minuscule. It's less than, like, something percent. And it was something that happened, I think, in, like, the 70s or 80s. Right. Like, um, most of the cases of trichinosis come from, um, like, wild game. So you're going to be, you know, not cooking your bear meat um, to temperature to get rid of the, the worm or, like... So again, so that like listeners know what we're Wild talking Gloria. about, what is, what is trichinosis? I think it's, it's a parasite. parasite. Yeah. yeah, It's a parasite. I think that comes from so, animals eating other animals is how they get it. And so, so it, so it makes you very, very ill and you can die from it. Yes. yes. So this is the grossest thing ever. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen these videos before, but your viewers, whoever your listeners, if, if they watch this, it's going to ruin their, their pork intake. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen the videos when they take like a chunk of pork, they oh, put, put it, it in, in Coke and the Coke and then yeah. they come out? Yeah. I don't know if that's real because it's been around for a long time. And yeah. I remember seeing it when I was younger, but like, you know, you know, talking you know what I'm talking Patty? about? Kind of. Oh my God. It's so disgusting. Like worms, It'll like make pop out of it. Yeah. yeah. The Coke like drives the, the bacteria while incubating it. Or so. I have no idea. I don't know the science behind it, but it's, it, it'll, yeah, I don't I don't know about that. I I do I have seen those videos, terrifying. But there are things living in pork. I mean I mean I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I love, but I love pork. I love pork so much. That, but I do know it that ruined me for a while. I do know that my mom taught me that pink pork is bad. So back <laughs> to the story, I'm like, um this is that I don't that's not good then. And they just kept on like they were insistent, like, this is fine, and everything's fine. 
Long story short, I didn't eat it because I'm not that brave. And not when it comes to something that's going to make me sick, dude. Like throwing up is the worst. Like that is my absolute worst. I'd rather you, I'd rather you like just, you could punch me, you can kick me and kick me in the nuts. I don't care. I'd do any of that before. If I had to choose between you kicking me in the balls and me throwing up, I will take a swift kick in the nuts in a second. That's how much I despise throwing up. So, uh, especially like a food poisoning type of throwing up. So anyway, I didn't eat it. They were super offended. <laughs> that turned into a big issue. I'm on this like balcony that I was like this American. Not yeah, pork. I was like, I'm not fucking eating that. I don't know what to tell you. And that's happened to me twice. So that happened another time in um um where was I? Fuck, I was in a I was in one of those like small stand countries. It was in Kazakhstan or somewhere like I think it was Kazakhstan. Um, and same thing. It was pork patties like the, you know, like we have like the ground the pork, Jimmy Dean, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like ground pork patty, sausage patties anywhere in America you go and you eat those. They're like brown or sometimes black. Like, you know, if they cook them too much, um, same thing. They were like a whitish pink. And I was like, that's not, you know, I'm not eating that shit. I didn't get into a long in-depth conversation about that <laughs> one, but you can, I mean, you can eat pork like medium rare, not necessarily medium rare, but like yeah, but not pink. Like yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, like I've had pork tenderloin, especially like yeah. pork on the bone. Like I'm going to serve you something someday. That, yes, like it's going to be nice like that. Yeah, the part where it really starts to get sketchy, like especially sausage. Like the more air and exposure that it has, like that's where you really have to do worry about bacteria getting in. So like sausage, like. Yeah, you should cook your sausage yeah. all the way through. Because yeah, it's, it's been very grinder, aerated. It's yeah. aerated, like all that kind of stuff. In the casing and all that, if it's, yeah. yeah. So it's like handling it so a lot. We're like right next to the the pork capital, right? Pender County, is that yeah. a big deal for pork? Smithfield. Yeah. Smithfield, yeah. anyway, yeah. So I know that, you know, you'll buy big portions of steak and stuff. Have you ever done that with pork? Have you ever like gone to a pork farm and... and yeah, I mean, I've roasted a... A whole bunch of whole hogs. I'm um, doing it that way. Um, I don't have as much experience. Yeah, like, big smoker, right? Yeah, breaking them down like into all the different chops, but it's it's pretty similar um, to some of the stuff that I've done. And actually, actually, I think at the end of April, I'm going on my first uh, hog hunt. Some of my buddies and cousins. Dirty dog, so, yeah, yeah. Down Jealous. Um, yeah, I'm ready. I'm just waiting on the word. Such a professor Andrew knows how to take that hog. I have a 300 blackout that's just waiting for for a dirty for a good hog hunt. Yeah, chingale. Waiting for one of my friends to to (laughs) say, "Hey, buddy, let's go. uh, Let's go on a hog hunt." I don't have a rifle yet. Now you know that by hog hunt, bro. I got a room in there full of them. (laughs) You can you can have your choice. We're not talking about late night rights roll beach here. (laughs) You know, you're talking about going and, and hunting, right? Oh, never, never mind then. Never mind. No, I got a little tipsy one night and like I bought like, I don't know, a pair of snake boots. Like, nice. So I have like some high Good boots for you. now. So now I'm like really like invested in this. Good so, for you. Um, good pair of snake boots. Every man needs a good pair of snake it's boots. It's kind of what I said to myself. Yeah. Um, so. So you own snake boots, but you don't own a rifle. I don't own a rifle. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. All right. We need to correct this issue we can correct this what kind of rifle would you use for the hog hunt 300 blackout 
Yeah, I I have my 300 blackout is uh, if you've ever watched video and there's some good video on uh, YouTube of this, but uh, they baited some hogs and they were um, hog or wild hog or an incredibly invasive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're they're a big problem all across the U.S. Um, primarily like Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. You know, um, now Florida. Up, oh, they're moving up here. Um, but anyway, so they, they wanted to kind of test out, uh, ballistics and calibers and stuff and see what was going to be the best. And so they, this one guy set up a bait station and a camera and hit one, uh, broadside with a two, two, three, five, five, six. Are you familiar with like the, the calibers? Yeah. So yeah, like two, two, three and five, five, two, two, three is the, is the civilian, like the civilian caliber to the NATO five, five, six round. Um, they're essentially for all intents and purposes the same round. Um, and which is what's typically shot out of the M four rifle in the military or the military equivalent, the AR 15. So, um, uh, they hit one broadside, you know, right where you're supposed to hit them, uh, penetrated it, you know, the, the hog moved, whatever grunted took off, obviously. And then eventually, you know, it, it had gone through the lungs and the heart and it died, but it died way over there somewhere. They shot an equivalent sized, uh, hog in the same spot from the same setup, same distance, all that with a 300 blackout. And it essentially picked the hog up and laid it down. It just, like the flip the flip this hog, yeah, just the wow. ballistics that it that it hits it with. Um, a a three hundred blackout is basically a, a seven six two uh, uh, projectile being fired out of a five five six casing. Um, is it, it? There's more that goes into mm-hmm. it, but basically that's the. Is it also like uh, like the home defense bullets where that it expands when it's inside you can yeah you you there's different yeah so the projectile itself all different rounds have all different i don't think you'd want that for something you're going to want to clean and eat though right correct yeah yeah to be projectile to be in one piece yep Um, yeah preferably not buckshot but but if it expands and gets sick other things you i think what you're referring to is like a hollow point hollow point like flowers open when it when it hits um and but yeah to to pat's point um that's correct you would want to hit you would want a shot with good shot placement that'll go through the lung at least the first lung um into the heart shut the heart down and that's it doing minimal damage to the surrounding meat anything like hollow point or anything that's gonna fragment like that um any of those fragment any of that fragmentation can break off and gotcha just it's just going to destroy the meat that you intend to eat after gotcha. that yeah i was thinking more of the fact that you said it it puts you down you know what i mean yeah so that's just the, the that's just the basic yeah ballistics that it's that it's hitting with and um you know it's like it's like taking a pencil and stabbing somebody that's like a like a two two three and um taking a sledgehammer and hitting somebody with it. So these, these are the kind of bores you're talking about. Like if you need to get rid of a body and you throw them in yeah. the pen with the bores, those, t- those guys, right? 
well, yeah, they will eat anything like that. Yeah, and they'll, yeah, they eat, they scavenge, they eat other dead animals, and that's why you have to cook them. So I think. It's but that being said, I mean, I mean, standard, standard farm pigs will do that same thing. Really, Professor Andrew, I went out there and checked out his operation. He's got some pigs and some fucking big ones. Professor Andrew, for the listeners, we all know firsthand, but this man's like 330, 340 pounds. Um, he's a he's a big boy. He's probably he's also six. What is he? Three. How tall are you, Pat? I'm six foot. Six foot. He's yeah. He's got to be six. He three, makes me six feel like four. a child when yeah. I roll with him. Yeah. Yeah. He's considerably bigger he's than a large man than you. Three hundred something pound black belt. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And exactly what you would expect. He's a giant teddy bear. He's a big, nice guy, right? Yeah. Great, great friend and all that. But smart. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, a savage on the mats and, and whatever. But yeah, anyway, so back to back to his operation, I went out there. He had some piglets. So I went out there, you know, checked them out, playing with pigs and stuff. And um, he pointed out one of the one of the pigs, though. I don't remember if it was a male or a female, but. He said he had to, he had a little run in with that one, needed to do something to it or whatever. So he's in there in the pen with it or whatever. And that fucking thing threw him off of his back. Like he was a child. I was like, damn. I mean, those things are, those things are strong, man. Yeah. They, uh, and it, I'm not a pig expert, but I think two weeks in the wild or something like that, they start to yeah become feral. They start changing their coat. Their start instincts growing, start coming back. Yeah. coming back. So uh, um, they're a fascinating animal. Oh, you mean if they're they're at a farm, but then they get their yeah they get loose. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean that's how most of them the feral hog population got started. So it's not like the type of animals that if they're domesticated or like in captivity, and then you put them out, they're confused. They don't know how to survive. They're gonna right. Yeah, yeah. Their survival, rooting, you know, migrating instinct kicks in. Wild pigs do so much damage because they never stop moving. So like in the middle of the day, they'll bed down. Um, they'll also move during the middle of the day, but, but often they'll bed down in the middle of the day and for predators, whatever. Right. But then as soon as it starts to get dark, I mean, they're on the move the entire night and, uh, they'll, they'll cover miles and miles and miles just rooting and digging and eating and destroying everything in their path. Livestock and, crops and all that stuff i got a really cool it's like a cookbook but it's also like the whole thing this guy jesse griffiths he's a restaurateur chef out in texas and then he's also got this like um ranch out there as well and so he does mexican food but like very austere um authentic mexican food and he's incorporated the the wild hog or i think they call him javelina out in texas and um What's really cool about it is he's got this whole book from, you know, basically like how to catch a hog, how to um, skin a hog, how to butcher a hog, and then all the recipes and everything in between from how to hunt it, how to trap them. Um, So I've been like kind of thumbing through that. And it's a beautiful book. The pictures are great. Uh, The recipes look really cool. Um, So I'm excited to kind of hop in and get it. That's great. I don't know if I'm going to shoot one without a gun, but. You're going to shoot one because you and I are now going to go out. I'm going to take you on a hog hunt. Yeah. You know. (laughs) 
You want to go that's, out and shoot a hog too? That's, that's the purple belt test. You got to, you got to, <laughs> yeah. Mata Leon. Yeah. <laughs> Jump on the back of a hog and you can choke it you out. Get, you get a knife and a belt or just a <laughs> belt. Right. Right. But I th- one of the things I was reading um, is that they kind of have like these big shoulder blades that protect like their vitals from the front. It's I, like I choking out Brandon. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> kind of do look like Brandon. So, um, like, they, and it kind of like protects that. So that's why the side shot, in particular, I think, is pro- important. Well, so actually, Professor Andrew educated me on this, and I, we were out there playing with his pigs, and and he told me he's like, feel right here on this on the side of this hog, and it was right there that side shot, you know, right behind the the shoulder blade or the shoulder um, muscle or whatever is where you'd want to hit, and even that on this. Domesticated pig, I guess we'll say it was a farm pig, but uh, he called it the boar plate. And yeah, I was touching it. That fucking thing is hard, dude. So it's not in front. And it's I and I, I thought it was, and okay. so maybe maybe they do though because they fight each other with their tusks and right, shit out right. in the wild. So maybe it's here too. But specifically, he told me to touch right there, and I it's incredible like how tough that thing is. He goes, dude, you're. He's like, and he told me, and I don't remember. I don't want to misspeak but he told me there's like a caliber of gun you could shoot that thing and you take a it's not gonna go to you know what i mean yeah. it's not gonna go through it's just it. front protection no it's from the side here okay. but I, that's what we were just talking about it may be in the front that tough too i don't know we didn't get into all that but he just pointed out he's like touch right here on this pig and feel how fucking strong that thing is and uh-huh. he told me it's called the boar plate so and it may be because i mean when they fight each other too maybe that's why they try to tusk each other or something i don't know Gore each other. Protect that jugular. Yeah, protect your neck, son. Protect your neck, foo. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So we'll go out. Uh, we'll go out and shoot some pigs. It'll be, it'll be fun. Bet. Got to get you a cowboy hat too. We were talking about that the other night. I definitely need a cowboy hat. Yeah, I almost wore my boots here. Really? You should have. Should have worn my boots. I wear my boots every day. As you can tell, these things got some. Got some. These things got some miles on them. I like those. I don't like. I know you. You wear big ones. I know Jeff wears big ones a lot. No, yeah, he wears the more traditional, like flatter, very square toed. Yeah, I like cowboy that boots. Kind of ankle level or a little bit higher. You got no. These are these are tall. I mean, these oh, okay. are up, these are up here. These are tall. Um, as long as they'll fit nice under your jeans, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what I'm coach is wearing. They're too. You know. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. They. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty particular about my boots. Um, these are what you call a harness boot. Um, they're great for riding motorcycles. They're great for riding horses. Um, they're great for looking awesome. But, uh, yeah, then there's like a very traditional cowboy boot. There's different different toe styles and all that, but this is my style if, here. If you you need the 10 gallon hat if you're going to wear the, the traditional boots, right? Yeah. You can't, you can't go half ass straw hat with it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. Yes. Yes. And that's more Texas than anything, right? No. No. So, I mean, definitely Texas, but, uh, you know, cat being, I mean, I don't know. Cowboy hats go hand in hand with a lot of things, you know? Um, there's a big, that's, that's a whole, separate topic you could talk about with boots and hats and sounds like another podcast yeah, yeah it is yeah it is we 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 really could have one i mean just on the I, 
I know I'm probably behind on life in comparison to you guys. I just started uh, Godless uh, this past week. I'm like mm. four episodes in. Have you guys seen that? Um, I started it, but um, I started it like at a very busy time, so I didn't like. I got like an episode or two in, and then and then kind of didn't didn't keep watching it. It's definitely worth revisiting. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. What platform is that on? Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's funny listening to all the people talk about, uh, Yellowstone and like watching, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of people I see all the time. They're like, Hey, uh, Californians, how about we stop moving to Wyoming? Cause, <laughs> or, uh, uh, Montana. Cause it's not what you, <laughs> it's not what you see on Yellowstone. Yeah. So fuck off, please. <laughs> I saw someone put a, some video reel together and it was, Minus twenty five, yeah, in I mean, January. They're <laughs> saying that everywhere about California. Stop moving Austin. Stop, stop moving, moving to Vegas or, or Reno. Stop. Like, stop. They are man. They every, move they're everywhere. Moving like crazy. Yeah, there was there was that was big anyway. I mean, you're only you obviously border. When I lived in Vegas, um, there were a lot of Californians that moved there, but Californians weren't quite the same pain in the ass at that time that they are now. Um, yeah. They're not all California. I was born and raised in California, so. And I'm awesome, obviously, but <laughs> there's some, there's a lot of liberals and whatever in California, obviously. So, but, um, when I was in the military, I was stationed, my first duty station was Grand Forks Air Force Base in, uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, that's cold. That's the coldest shit I've ever felt in my life, dude. And that's saying something cause I lived in Alaska too. Um, different type of cold, different type of cold and it's warmer in the winter in Alaska. Well, at least in Anchorage, Alaska is a massive state, obviously. Um, and the spread of the land is so great. Um, that like, so Anchorage is where I lived and Anchorage proper was far warmer in the winter time than grand forks was. Is Anchorage on the water. Yeah. And, um, but then, you know, I've also like, I went, I've been caribou hunting in like Barrow, Alaska, which is far north. And that's like brutal, brutal cold. Um, but still, even that being said, the coldest temperature I have ever felt in my life personally was in Grand Forks, North Dakota, like negative 60, you know, with a, with a, and it's negative, whatever, with a wind chill, just ridiculous numbers that are just absurd. Grand Forks is very flat as well and very windy. Yeah, that's probably the and it borders uh, Canada. So we, you know, it was only it was only like a two hour drive to Winnipeg from Grand Forks. So that's how close to the Canadian border you are, with no trees and no hills and lots of wind. It was terrible. We went to college uh, about thirty miles away from each other, and uh, they got way more snow up in Syracuse than we did down in Cortland and it was just all lake, lake effect, effect man is a killer yeah yeah for sure that's what they say about uh about Seattle like Seattle is a bowl and they at least what I understood I lived there for four years what the, what I understood is because of the way the mountains are situated and um Seattle's right on the water like Puget, it is Puget Sound yeah that it the the basically just the the cloud, uh, what am I trying to say? Like the circulation, the patterns yeah. 
like flow in, hit the mountains, turn around and flow back out. So it basically just gets stuck in that. All the moisture kind of like. Yeah, it just circulates and it just gets stuck in that bowl that is Seattle. Um, I, I don't know what it is about lakes in comparison to ocean for generating kind of that wind chill. But man, some of the coldest I've ever been is, is Chicago. Yeah. Uh, with, you know, right on the lake, um, wintertime, like it's cold anyway, like very cold anyways. It's like Maine cold yeah. or, or Seattle cold. Um, but when you start factoring that wind chill in that area and then if you, you know, in a city, you know, it's cu- flying through the, yeah. the skyscrapers down, you know, in the, in the cities. Oh my. Yeah. It's terrible. I don't like the cold. Neither. <laughs> I also don't like the extreme. Used to not bother me. Hot. Now it does. Yeah, my whole military career was extreme cold and extreme hot. <laughs> Live in really cold places and deploy to really really hot places. Heat um, really hot weather doesn't bother me that much though. Like yeah. where people are like just dying and sweating and stuff. I'll sweat, but it just doesn't it doesn't get to me like that. Yeah. Be. I prefer that over the cold for sure. But Anyway, um I think that's a good uh that's a good stopping point. We talked about all kinds of things. Um again, guys, we have let's see, we have our event coming up, Tap Out Trafficking, uh Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Super Fight event, February eighteenth, uh two weeks from now. Um lots of sponsors, main sponsor, kind of uh, uh what's the word I want? Um ATII is the kind of the host sponsor, we'd say. Yep. ATII and Ravens Guard Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are the host sponsors for this event. Yep. To benefit a safe place, which is a domestic abuse and human trafficking women's shelter. Yep. Lots and lots of people coming on board to support this event. So, um, which obviously we're incredibly grateful to everybody involved, all the competitors, all the sponsors. Um, if anybody listening is, uh, again, like Pat said, interested in uh, getting involved in any way, um, pushing it on social media, sponsoring, <clears throat> any of any of those things, any way you want to get involved, um, follow money, uh, fightslavery.org. Um, get on there. There's an events tab yep. where you can find our, the Tap Out Trafficking event. Um, also there's, uh, kind of sponsorship opportunities and stuff like that through there. You can also reach out to us at Ravens guard Academy. Um, and we can, we can figure something out if you want to be a part of it. Yeah. And in general, if you want to learn more about human trafficking, you go on the, the follow money fight org website to the events tab. We have our big, uh, annual follow money fight slavery summit. It's at the end of April. Uh, we'll probably have uh, 10 panels or so. Um, really good stuff, so check it out. Yep, and um, Pat, what... Uh, closing thoughts? Yeah, closing thoughts. Cook more pork, medium rare. <laughs> yeah. Don't eat sketchy Put, street meat. Don't eat sketchy street meat. Put some south in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Legalize marinara. That sounded super weird, my friend. Um, yeah. Anyway, the um, all of our competitors, all of our all of our fighters. Um, I want to again say thank you to you guys. Um, 
huge deal. Everybody that's that's coming on, everybody that's going to help the event. Um, we can't have an event like this. We can't have a, a jiu-jitsu super fight event without jiu-jitsu athletes. We can't do this thing without sponsors. Um, ATII and Aaron, we, you know, obviously, personally, I appreciate what you're doing for the for the cause, not just our event, but just in general. It's, that's awesome. You were doing this long before we met each other and, and got on board to do this event with each other. So I um, appreciate all my friends and, and you guys helping out with the event. And I'm looking forward to it. Right on. Yeah. So thank, thank you, guys. You, Thanks yeah. for having us. Thank you guys for being on here. And uh, all the listeners, follow that stuff. Get on your social media sites. Push all the stuff. The more... It's pushed out the, you know, the more this is going to grow and more people know about it. And, more and if of you a can't make can it make. or you can't sponsor, or you can't get involved this one. Like, like, uh, like we said, it's, it's, we're doing it at least twice a year in Wilmington, North Carolina, and we're looking to expand it to major cities, uh, in, in the future. Shout okay. out if, if, if you want to have a tap out trafficking in your city and you're ready to put it on the line and compete. That's right. All right, guys. Remember, everybody listening, you only have one life. Make it an alpha life.